Hey, no name calling here. Just differing opinions going head to head. With Counterpoint. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. All right, it is time for Counterpoint. We got Omar Khan, VP over at Hill and Knowlton Strategies, and Melissa Lanceman, also VP over at Hill and Knowlton. Do you guys have offices like right beside each Actually, other? Actually, we do. Right next to each other. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh, Cubicles, though, not you offices. Get anything done? Uh, you know, it depends on the day. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk about um, retiring Hydro One CEO who's got the coolest name, Mayo Schmidt. Air quotes, retiring. Yes, retiring. <laughs> Strategically retiring, I might add. Oh, because, I think that's a big, big win. Yeah, well, he's retiring, and um, the province will pay him $400,000 because they have to, but that's all we thought he was going to get. And then we learned, because he had a little baked-in deal with the Liberals, that he's going to get all his nice little stock awards. He had a baked-in deal with the shareholders of Hydro One. Because the Liberals sold it. But anyway, let's not mince detail. So he gets $9 million uh, in... In, in these, you know, stock options, he would have gotten an additional ten point seven million had Doug Ford fired him. So, I guess we should be happy that he gets nine. Yeah, you know what? I, I can't. I can't criticize the premier on this one. You know, he ran on getting everyone rid else's. Of, he, What's well, wrong with you? you know, I'm not everybody else. So he <laughs> ran. He ran on getting rid of the board. He ran on getting rid of the CEO. He did it. You know, promise kept. Now. Uh, this one decision in and of itself doesn't do anything uh, to move the dial on his promise to reduce hydro rates by an additional 12%. But, it feels but again, good. I, I'm going to give him the, and his team the benefit of the doubt on that. You know, if, if they can do it, more power to them. This is a big win. It is the first that. step in reducing hydro rates by 12%. Even if he it gets that, that $9 million? Look, he, he got the stock options that he earned under the Liberals. This could have been $10.7 million in severance. This could have been Mayo, Mayo Schmidt's future compensation. Um, this could have been future stock options. Uh, the taxpayer won on this one. Now, now Hydro One has nothing to do no. with setting hydro rates. That's the OESO or yeah, I, right. IES or whatever the hell the yeah. We'll, the we'll heck, deal the again with those is. guys. The but, guys but, that. But uh, the, 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 let's be clear. Hydro One has no influence on what the actual cost of hydro is. No, Look, everybody said he couldn't do it. He did it. I already and gave you. I already gave you a win on that good. one. <laughs> wow. I'll take it. Do you have glass between your offices? Can you see each other all day? It's not thick it's enough. So fun. <laughs> well, let's talk about uh, Canadian Civil Liberties Association considering a legal challenge to Doug Ford's repealing of the sex ed curriculum. They say they would fight it on the grounds of discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation. I don't think they've got much of a case on this thing, Melissa, but I do think it was a strategical misstep to even bother repealing this thing. Look, I don't think it's a it should be a surprise. Um, he'd been talking about uh, repealing sex ed, replacing it with a new curriculum every single day of the campaign. This mm. is another sort of promise made, promise kept. I think if you look at it more widely is there is a problem. There is a lot of parents angry about this. And, mm-hmm. and if they frame it as a respect for parents, uh, do the consultations, um, sort of get to where they want to be on uh, on the curriculum and and reintroduce it in a way that sort of makes sense for Ontario. Yeah, the problem is, um, I mean, look, it was Kathleen Wynne herself and, and all the school board officials, etc., in 2015 who were telling everybody, don't worry, the new curriculum is almost the same as the old one, just a little bit newer. And now those same people are crying, henny penny, the sky's falling, because we're putting our kids in imminent danger by using that curriculum. Yeah, look, I think hyperbole is dangerous on both sides of this argument. 
Uh, I agree. You know, he he ran on doing this. He he ran on doing this, quite frankly, because he had a, a political deal with the religious right, which helped him win the leadership. Let's let's just be honest about that. But he ran on it, and Ontarians voted for him. Forty percent of Ontarians chose to vote for him. Um, I would just say, look, from personal experience, you know, I tweeted about this this morning. Uh, I grew up in a Muslim household, not not overly religious, but a Muslim household, never nonetheless. Talking about sex when I was growing up as a tween and a teenager was just taboo to the point where, you know, I learned everything about sex until, you know, I went to university uh, through sex education in, in middle school and high school. Why didn't you just grab a Playboy and go to the woods? That's what we all did. I was a or the Sunday night I, sex I show with liberal. Sue Johansson. I was, That's right. I, I was a young liberal. <laughs> I learned it I on Degrassi saying, Junior High. I was too much of a nerd to do, to do that. <laughs> I, I was reading Pierre Trudeau's autobiography or something. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, I'll, I'll just say this. I could have made a joke. I'm said, just they, not going to. <laughs> they said they were going to do this. I hope they uh, do the consultations quickly. Yep. Because it is important that kids have a, a sex education curriculum uh, that is, you know, from the era of text messaging and social media. Do, do you really think those conversations are going to stop? I mean, honestly, the schools today are so accepting. I mean... I, it's, I hope they don't stop. They won't stop. It, it would be it would be impossible. I can't imagine that a kid's going to go to school and have a question. The teacher's going to say, nope, I can't talk to you about that now. Right. And that's why we hope they do it sort of quickly, efficiently, get yeah. the consultations that they need, make the changes that uh, that stem from those consultations and move right on. Yeah, because bottom line is, I don't actually think the curriculum is going to change that much. I think it'll probably be a little bit older. Uh, I don't have Maybe. an issue. I don't have yeah. an issue with sex ed. I do have an issue with it constantly being spoken about in my five-year-old's class because it's so predominant. I'm like, can you teach him to read? Can you teach him to do yeah, math? Yeah, and I think they are. Right, and that's and that's one of the things that <laughs> was mentioned today. Uh, scrapping discovery math, Thank scrapping a, a curriculum where you sort of figure out math uh, yourself. That didn't fly in, in, in my house, and I wouldn't be where I was today if uh, my dad didn't teach me math. By the way, I that, never learned math. That's, that why, that's be, why I went into politics. <laughs> that should be the bigger outrage is the math. I mean, everyone's going crazy on the sex ed stuff, and I'm like, shouldn't you all be concerned a little bit about more about the fact that kids are failing math, math on mass? Like, Terribly. Yeah, you know, it's, it's it's not an easy thing, right? Um, so the test scores went up quite a bit from 2003 up until about five years ago. And then something happened about five years ago. where It was discovery where, math where they, that happened. Perhaps, liberal math per, happened. Perhaps, per, look, and okay, you can throw liberal beside everything, but there's a lot of non-political people <laughs> in government who make a lot of these decisions, particularly around curriculum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, <laughs> either way, I wouldn't have been able to do the math because I'm terrible, terrible at math. But the discovery math just... So does this mean like everything that happens now, we can just say, you know, the, the, the conservative uh, math curriculum or the, con- the, the, after the, the, audit. the conservative hospital uh, wait times? After the audit. <laughs> All right. Yes, right. Okay. there will come a point. Yeah, when you can own it now. If, it, you're, if you're going to say everything that last 15 years It won't be the 15 years, years of blaming fault. Mike Harris. It'll be like, yeah, soon Ford will have to wear this. But he does get a grace period. Hey, no name calling here. Just differing opinions going head to head. With Counterpoint. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. It is Counterpoint. We got Melissa Lansman and Omar Khan joining us. Let's talk a little bit about um, what we saw in Toronto's downtown. I don't know if it would have hit your area in your office space, but there were an awful lot of, of cops around. Uh, 
ETF, all sorts of cops. And we were told for the longest time, it's normal. <laughs> I'm like, no, this is not normal. Eventually, it came out that there had been some leaked documents saying that there was a threat to the uh, public at large, possibly a vehicle uh, might be used to go into a crowd. But the bottom line is, or we did not hear anything for a very long time. Police just would not give us details. Do they have to? Should they? I think it's a, it's a, you know, it's a judgment call. And it's a tough judgment call because you don't want to, based on unsubstantiated threats, cause mass hysteria. Uh, but at the same time, if there is even a kernel of credibility to the threat, you probably have a responsibility to the public. So, look, I don't envy people uh, in this in this situation. Um, you know, I think you got to take every case as it comes and, and make make a judgment call. To be honest. Yeah, I mean, in the United States, they have such a different culture, Melissa. They put out the name, the suspect, the, the ma- they, they come out instantly and they always give um, the information. I kind of jokingly said on Twitter today, I guess I'll be watching the American media to get find out what's happening in Toronto because when the van attack happened and people were dying, we only learned on the American news what was actually happening because we're so so private about our information here. Yeah, look, I think it's a tough balance. I, I tend to agree with Omar on this one. There is the uh, the need to sort of keep the public informed, but uh, a need to sort of keep the public safe. Um, there's a lot of events happening in Toronto. There's a, you know, I, if you're looking at the Rogers Centre tonight, a huge concert, baseball games, um, things like that, Budweiser stage, uh, the the throne speech today, where there was a gun salute at, at, the, uh, at the worst uh, sort of time. Um, they got a lot going on, and... Uh, I, I think I think it's a balance. I think it's a balancing act, and I uh, I, I think that they make a judgment call. But but you know, if you're going to tell me, um, you know, take your kids and go to Wonderland and do that, I'd be like, yeah, no, 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 not until I know what we're talking about. And no, I'm a pretty hard girl. Like I I don't I don't get freaked out about these things. But if you're going to tell me everything's cool, but we can't tell you what it is, it's like, well. I'm not going to go there then. So, like I said, it's a judgment call. You know, it's not the same thing, but I remember when uh, we went through an Ebola scare uh, a few years ago, and I was working for the Minister of Health at the time. Uh, and at some one point, I just told our press secretary to shut off her phone. <laughs> and she said, look, yeah. I have 42 voicemails from media. I'm like, well, you know what? That's great, but... We're not. We can't tell them anything until we actually. So know just something. ignore the media. Well, of course. We, we, I said that we'll send out a statement when we know something. Right. Uh, and you know that that's because what we didn't want is we had a case that was probably traveler's diarrhea or something, right? But he, the person had come from West Africa, and they were in isolation. What we didn't want is mass hysteria at the hospital where they were being isolated. Right. Um, but so then you get people who kind of come up with their own scenarios. And yeah, we gotta we gotta let cops be cops. We gotta let them do uh, what they know how to do, and expect that uh, we give them the tools to uh, sort of make those judgment calls. I get it. Did in you the write States. that part of the throne speech? Because you know you're saying that uh, not to stray too much did. of this, <laughs> but it was noticed. Uh, Doug Ford's throne speech. Uh, he did say, you know, I think pretty pointedly that. Cops under this administration will be able to cop. What did he mean there? What do you think he was saying? Look, I think I, I think with Doug Ford, you're hearing a lot about uh, allowing frontline workers to actually do their jobs, stopping bureaucracies from making des- uh, decisions for what actually happens on the ground. You don't have sort of a bureaucracy necessarily in health making clinical day-to-day decisions for patients. I think the same thing happens with cops. So we could see something like Cardin come back, maybe revamped. Look, and I improved. think you. I, I think that that's a decision of police forces that are trained in this. I think that we. We have a problem in Toronto. There's people getting shot, and they need to be able to 
make the the decisions that uh, that they see uh, fit for protecting the public. So That's all, their job. With, with all due respect, that is not uh, carding is not a decision for police forces to make. That's why we have civilian oversight over police. Uh, that's why ha- well, that's why we have elected. It was governments. a flawed system, but there's no reason to think that you can't bring in a new revised form of it to do it properly because totally. there is an intelligence totally value to it. That's why we have elections. Yeah. But the notion that cops should decide when it's appropriate to pull somebody over, uh, and a lot of people have been alleging that some of these stops were racial profiling. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that's what I'm just saying that that's why we actually have civilian oversight over police in this country. That's why we're not a police state. There you go. I want to pick up on a story that um, is a big story um, that's followed, I mean, all of us, really. We're talking about the case of Robert Latimer, um, who is asking for a pardon. And I think it's an interesting question, given that now that assisted suicide is legal, should he be granted one? This, of course, is the man who um, killed his severely disabled 12-year-old daughter back in 1993. He was eventually convicted of second-degree murder. Um, He's done his time. But should he get a pardon? Melissa? Look, I think that uh, sort of assisted suicide, what it's going to do to society and what that looks like, very personal issue. I think in the case of Latimer, if you're applying a legal test, you apply the legal test of today. My understanding from from the law is that he didn't get consent. Mm -hmm. He didn't get consent from his daughter who couldn't give consent. Right. Uh, And that's a problem. Okay. And I think that's a a really good point that you bring up. I mean, she couldn't speak, but her father felt that she shouldn't also have to suffer in pain. Yeah. And look, the the Supreme Court uh, ruled a couple of years ago uh, to allow for medical aid in dying. You know, people don't like the term assisted suicide just because it has the term suicide carries some negative connotations. Um, But they were very strict. Uh, And if you look at the federal legislation that was brought in and supported by most of the provinces, including Ontario... Uh, it says that uh, death must be imminent, mm-hmm. uh, which it was not in the case of his daughter, uh, and that there must be express consent. So he death was neither imminent. She was, she, you know, she had a she had a horrible condition that I wouldn't wish upon anybody. Mm-hmm. But survivability was feasible for her. Um, so I don't think. He but should what be about pardoned. on the on the basis of compassion? I mean, this is what we are saying. We would you know, allow for assisted suicide, which is essentially what it is. I mean, if you're going to help someone end their life and you're doing it on compassionate grounds. We will never know what his daughter would have wanted. That That's the point here. So what does Trudeau do? I mean, look, we're looking at possibly pardoning all convicted pot smokers. And if you're not going to pardon a guy like this, who many will look at and say he did his time, it's the kind of con that far say it's it's sparked a national conversation. But. Absolutely, look, I think that there is a a balance between uh, compassion, how you see compassion, and then there's the protection of those who are disabled and right. can't speak for okay. themselves. Yeah. And there is uh, there's something to be said for that. There is uh, sort of large community, large advocate communities uh, for disabled people. Um, I'm not sure uh, that necessarily she could have ever given consent. Um, if that was, uh, and, and even first. today under her, from what I understand of the case and it was a long time ago, but under her condition, she probably wouldn't qualify for today's medical aid and dying regulations. Right. And that's the test that we have yeah. to apply. But it also, it also speaks to your point of, of the slippery slope that people talk about that if we allow, so this would set precedent that if we allow for this, then you're going to see others uh, carry this out. Or you could see it in the cases of parents having to make decisions on behalf of their children 
which I don't agree with. I, I you know, I think it's a very personal choice. But when when we go down those roads where you're given a god power uh, over those who are vulnerable, or in the case of children, I'm very uncomfortable with that. So I'm well, not really the sure government at the time. Uh, ha- I think I believe they were approached by some to commute the sentence, and the, yeah. ch- the justice minister at the time chose not to. Yeah, it's a fascinating case. We'll see what happens, but uh, interesting to see which way. Uh, the justice minister goes on this. Gotta leave it there, guys. Thank you. Melissa. Pleasure. Always, always good to be and here. And Omar, my uh, pleasure dealing with all of you. You're listening to On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio.